This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast this is the world's car radio show if it has a throttle we will feature it on air online on smartphone or on smart speaker this is the world's car radio show if it has a throttle of course we told you we'd feature it it's where two million people get their automotive news daily this is our auto expert uh a little bit of a round of applause today because we're back live in the studio. Uh, it's been a world, world, whirlwind of travel uh, all the way down the East Coast on Mini Takes the Stage to Germany and back via Amsterdam and canceled flights and then all the way down California and back. It's been a road trip, driving a car that does 747 miles on a single charge of electricity, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet because it's against the law and I'll go to jail. Uh, I'll bail you out. Yeah, you'll bail me out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you have enough money to bail me out from jail. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot going on. Just a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, I, and we're going to tell you all about it, except the part where we'll go to jail. Because, you know, I don't want to go to jail. I'm too pretty and too young. Um, and even got a haircut in that time as well. Yeah, Nick, so. you look really nice. Do I? Nick, you've done a lot of stuff. You're, I feel like it was Nick Miles Tour 2022. Um, I will tell you that because I fly so much, I think I probably got 100,000 air miles in the last two weeks. I was able to help Ashley at Mercedes out get onto a plane and... The, the coolest story about this is that she was on my flight uh-huh. and she decided she saw my flight was canceled. So she saw my flight was delayed by like three or four hours. She got onto a earlier flight and I got to the airport in Atlanta and had to sit around for, I think, about three, three or four hours. She was on the runway going to take off when I got to the airport and had to sit around. And as they were on the runway, at the end of the runway, just about to take off on her flight, there was a weird noise in the engine. And so they're sitting at the end of the runway and the engine's like making this strange noise. And so the captain goes, hey guys, I'm sorry, but I don't like the sound of this noise. I don't have any like weird lights on, but I'm going to have, I'm going to pull off to the side of the runway. I'm just going to have them bring an engineer out and just see if he's okay with this noise. And if we're okay, we're just going to take off to Amsterdam. And so they brought an engineer out to the plane, and the engineer came out to the plane and got on and said, I don't like this noise either. Like, that's not normal. So we're going to just take a quick look at the engine. So all the passengers are on the plane, 
and these engineers are out looking at the engine. Three hours later, three, they're all sitting on the plane still, and I'm texting back and forth with Ashley, and she's like, "I just got a hotel reservation <laughs> she knew. from the airline." Oh, and no. it's like really bad. That's bad. And so I'm going, oh, no. So they bring them all back to the gate, and their flight's canceled, and they rebooked them the next morning to go to Amsterdam. And she's like, oh, and there's no other flights that night. And I said, well, we haven't boarded yet. Come over to my gate. And she's like running from her terminal to my terminal. And I was, um, I had, I was in Delta One, and... She says, I can't even see your flight on any of the things. I said, well, that's because we're delayed like four hours. It's obviously gone off of the, uh, off of all of the displays. Yeah. So I said, and I had had a, they had a problem with my passport. Like they'd scanned it and it, it wouldn't go in for some reason. So even though I had supposed to have been boarded one of the first people on the plane, there was like maybe 50, the 50 last people. And they, they were, had to call a supervisor to help them because my boarding pass wouldn't scan. And so I hadn't gone on the plane yet, and she shows up, and I give her a hug. I said, get in the end of the line. Like, I don't know what else to do. And she's, the line was really long because, like, maybe 20 other people had worked out this flight was still there, and they would got in line to try and get on the flight. Mm -hmm. And so I said, oh, I wish you all the luck I can. And I, I was probably one of the last 20 people on the plane. I get on. Of course, everybody in first class has already settled down. Yeah. And they have to fly us first class when we have such a long flight um, because we are supposed to get off the plane, be refreshed, and be able to go straight to work. And so I, I'm sitting, I'm getting on the plane, and everybody else is settled down. I'm thinking I have to get all my stuff ready because it's only an eight-hour flight, and I'm going to have to get sleep and uh -huh. be ready to go to work as soon as I land. So I'm trying to put my stuff down. I'm trying to think, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And I'm like all right, maybe what I can do is call, because I have good status with the airline, call my line that gets me through straight away and just beg them to get her on the flight. And she just recently got married, and I didn't know her, whether she changed her name legally or not. So oh, I'm yeah. thinking, I don't know which her last name she has, um, so I will text her and ask her for her confirmation code. And I text her and said, what's your confirmation code? And I'm waiting for her to reply. And I, and I also said, where are you in line? She goes, like, there's, 20, there's still 20 people in front of me and stuff. And um, she replied. And I went to the, um, one of the flight attendants and I said, is there any room on the flight? And I think the flight attendant thought I was trying to move seats in first class. She goes, we're completely full. Like this sort Ooh. of answer you get, like, don't mess with me, I'm busy. Yeah. And the flight attendant said, you know, I was like, no, 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 I'm not asking to move. I have a friend who's got bumped, her flight got canceled, and she was on an Amsterdam flight that was supposed to leave earlier. And I'm trying to see if I can just get her on the plane. And she goes, oh, no, yeah, there's, there's quite a few, like, it's like 15, 20 seats in the rest of the plane. Nice. And I'm like, oh, okay, at least I'm not doing something in vain. So I'm like, I'm going to call, but I'm still unpacking my stuff because I have to get sleep. Otherwise, uh, and I'd been working the whole day and it's like midnight yeah. and I'd been up since five working. I did a whole bunch of live TV and stuff. So I called the the back line that I have into, into the uh, airline, but I did it on speakerphone, which is super rude <laughs> on an aircraft. Nick. Like it's really rude. 
and automatically on speakerphone like i got attention like people were looking at me like you're a pig and uh, but i had to do it because i'm unpacking my stuff and trying to get settled and you know they answer the phone immediately and they know your name because the number comes up in their system and they say hey mr miles how can we help you and i said look I know you don't have to do anything for me. And I'm super sorry to ask, but this is what happened. I explained the situation to them. And she, I said, you, you can hang up. Like, I get it. You can't do anything. Is there anything she can do? And she goes, what the heck? I'm going to try. And okay. she's, she looked up Ash's info. And she said, I see. I see what happened. I don't know. I'm going to try. She says, probably not, but... Let me see. Yeah. All right, there is a bunch of flight, the seats. I do actually even have some comfort seats available. Ooh. I'm going to throw her at the plane and see what happens. <laughs> and she's like, wheel spinning, wheel spinning, wheel spinning. She goes, oh, it doesn't, nothing happening. Wheel spinning, wheel. She goes, ooh, wait a second. Um, it might, ooh, I think, wait a second. She said, look, I think it's added her but it looks like she's on the flight. Um, I have her on the flight, but I can't get her a seat. Huh? So she's on the flight, but it won't let me assign her a seat. So she taps. She's like, I can't get her a seat, but she's on the flight. So she has to get her seat and her boarding pass from the gate agent right there in the airport. I'm like, she's like 20th in line. Like, and they're trying to get ready to close the door. She's, they won't close the door if they see someone on the flight. Like, they're going to page her, whatever. So I text her, and she's like, no way. You got me on the flight. Oh, my God. No way. I'm just going to go up there and try and get on. I said, don't. If you don't have a boarding pass, they're not going to let you on the flight. And she goes up, and, of course, sure enough, they, don't, they won't let her on the flight. Yeah. And then she, she goes dark on me. And all these people, I look around, are standing looking at me and looking at my phone. And they're all like, what's well, going on? Did she get on or what? <laughs> what's going on? Where is she? What's going on? And they're on the PA. They're going like, all right, everybody, tray tables in the opposition. Make sure your bag's done and all your electronics are in there. And I'm like, Ashley, Ashley, you get on. What's going on? What's going on? Ashley, Ashley. And nothing. It's complete silence. Okay, ready to go. Flight crew, uh, prepare for, you know, closing the door. Oh, no, the no. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm Ashley. She goes, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm really trying. Then nothing, nothing. Oh no, Ashley, come like on. This. And it, it's like, there's no way. She's got to get on this flight. She's got to get on this flight. And I'm we're, I'm, we're all standing and everybody's looking at the door, just looking at the door. And it's like, where is she? And I'm almost sweating, like I'm shaking, like this plane cannot take off because she is part of the Mercedes group manage, management team, right? If she doesn't get out there, who's going to run this whole program that we're going to Germany for? And the woman grabs the handle for the door. And just as she's going to pull it tight, Ashley squeezes through the door. Oh. And the whole of first class goes, yes! yes it's like Ashley. they're air You know, like first class passengers aren't going to scream, right? They're air punching. And they're like, shaking yeah, their fists yeah, yeah. and she's just blowing kisses like to me and the whole of first class oh, and she man. she was like 
I didn't mind sitting in like coach for the whole eight hours, <laughs> but she made it there. So yeah, the Mercedes trip was amazing. And then before that, we did this um, great trip, uh, Mini Takes the States, um, which started in Burlington, Vermont, and went all the way down to Greenville, Spartanburg, um, South Carolina. Uh, and I had a thousand um, friends along the way each day, mini, mini drivers, uh, 650 minis. And uh, let me just say, there's some crazy folk who are mini owners. They are pretty nuts. Um, yeah. They're, they're just fun. There was people dressed up as dragons and uh, the, uh, the like just all these cartoon characters. Um, they brought their pets along. Even one lady had an 18-month-old child. Just her and her child did the whole trip. I met dogs, I met friends, I met past friends who were doing it. Uh, Cynthia Womble, her son Robert. Um, that This is the third Mini Takes the States. And the, funny enough, she taught Robert to drive on the last Mini Takes the States, oh, nice. which was really fun. Um, he didn't do this one. He joined, they live in North Carolina. And Robert joined us in North Carolina and um, drove a little bit of the Mini Takes the States. But he had to adult because adult is harding and he had, harding hard and he had to work. Um, <laughs> so she, uh, Cynthia drove it in her Mini. And it's amazing how many friends that she had. And the local paper did a story about her and her friends. And um, just meeting crazy people along the way, people catching up with uh, me and shaking my hand and they were watching the daily vlogs, which you can see at the Our Auto Expert Facebook page and on the OurAutoExpert.com uh, website. And we had um, mini radio. Uh, that which, was fun. Yeah, we, did, there was a, we had a radio station up for like two weeks. And Andy, you did a whole bunch of um, uh, roadside assistance pieces. Yeah, it was um, a knockout hit. Yeah, absolutely. So every day you sort of did four different roadside assistance pieces um, and what? Yeah, explain to us what they were. They were they were little like tidbits of, of where you were going. So uh, like when you were in Vermont, you know, I looked up, you know, what are the best restaurants, where to eat, where are the you know the the best places to hang out, uh, like touristy spots. But I also I went a little deeper because I knew I wasn't just dealing with the normal person. We were dealing with the miniacs. So I went a little deeper and get got into like, well, where are the locals eating? So I went in, I put on my my, uh, my stealth hat and deep dived into each state and figured out what to do with your dogs, where to go, where the locals eat, but also where are the touristy spots and then sprinkled in some, some things to do, uh, you know, some tips while you're on the road, uh, where to go, where to park, where to, where to have fun, all that stuff. I just remember that. Um, the largest filing cabinet in America is in Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> yes. And then, so when we arrived in Burlington, um, we asked the show, so we arrived really late, like at midnight, and I asked the, the car service that picked us up at the airport to drive us to the hotel. Mm. You know, so I hear you have the largest filing cabinet here in Burlington, Vermont. He goes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like, 10 filing cabinets just welded on top of each other. That was the guy. <laughs> Way to sell it. I was like, and you live here? And, you know, yeah, great, thanks. <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, it's like an eyesore. <laughs> it's like an eyesore, sir. He was just like, great, 
well, I guess we'll be going to Ben and Jerry's then. Thanks. <laughs> the home of uh, Ben and Jerry's is there too. Mm. And just, just so much fun stuff. And people were listening to uh, mini radio. Like we had 15,000 uh, unique listeners. Damn, um, that's yeah, a lot. which was a, a whole bunch of fun. So it was, I mean, the whole trip was a great success. And then coming back and doing the, the trip to Germany for Mercedes. And then. Um, I got to go to L.A. and saw the unveiling of the new Honda Civic Type R, the second generation. And now that's celebrating the red Honda badge is celebrating 30 years. Nice. And the Honda Jet brought in the, in, you know, their famous IndyCar driver. Uh-huh. Um, and the president of Honda was there. Uh, and they, they've been on a roll. They had every Honda Civic right from the beginning uh-huh. and all the Type R's. Um and it was like a huge celebration. Um, it was a very, very well curated event. All the media were there. It was like an airport hangar. Um, and the best vegan spam sushi I have ever eaten in my life as a by note to that. But here's the cool part. Um, Carl Pulley from Honda is going to join us and tell us about that. Plus, oh. um, I took that and the HRV and the CRV, the, the couple of days later, they've never been out um, at a TV station. We had them uh, at a TV station a couple of days later. Dang, so that, I know. It, we were really on a roll in the last two weeks. Just yeah. amazing stuff happening. We'll tell you all about the Honda Civic Type R. You can even get a kid seat in the back, a child safety seat in the back. Now we're and the HRV and the CRV, which was just being revealed. Whew. So much good stuff on this show. You probably want to patent it and don't let any of your friends listen so you can have an exclusive. All right, more coming up on Our Auto Expert. Just direct messages at Our Auto Expert. It's where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. Uh, So LA was the scene. It was an aircraft hangar at uh, a municipal airport. The sun is setting and the Honda Jet lands um, and then, of course, the uh, brand new Civic Type R, a 2023, revealed to the world. The silks come off. And, of course, everybody's extremely excited. The most powerful, the, uh, the of course, uh, I, I call it the common man's supercar. Carl Pauly joining us to tell us all about it. Is it really the, the common man's supercar um, for, for everybody, Carl? Uh, it's probably the highest performing um, Honda out there, isn't it? For you know, for the oh, common absolutely. man. Yeah, for the common yeah, man. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the the nail on the head. I mean, the you know, everyone knows uh, the Civic. In fact, the the Civic just turned fifty this year, celebrating its fiftieth anniversary. And and obviously, the the Type R is is what we'd call in Europe a hot hatchback. Um, you know, the the previous generation was three hundred and six horsepower. Um, and uh, this one will be more, more powerful. We're not uh, providing details on the power output yet, um, but interestingly, the, um, the development team had three goals they set themselves. It, of, of course, had to be the most powerful Civic Type R ever, so certainly more than 306 horsepower. It had to be the best handling, um, and we've already showed that by it taking the uh, front-wheel drive track record of the Suzuka Formula One track. But interestingly, the third uh, thing that they were they had a goal for 
uh, is that it had to be addictive to drive. Um, we always talk about Hondas being fun to drive, whether you're driving a CRV or a Pilot, um, and certainly the Type R is thrilling. But the development team wanted to be addictive in that when you're driving, you just want to continue to drive it. Uh, and then when you're not driving, you can't wait to get back behind the wheel again. Yeah, and I think the other thing about it really is people are really, really proud to own it. I mean, I'm talking about some of the people who are at the event who had owned the previous generation Type R, and they were really looking forward to owning this version of the Type R as well. It's the sort of thing where it's coveted um, and they baby it. And uh, two people I know specifically who own that vehicle were, you know, they sort of it almost becomes a trailer queen for them. They're, they're very it's polished every day. It's how people used to treat their cars back in the 60s where it's an extremely loved vehicle you don't really find that so much with new cars that people buy in the sort of 2020s uh, that way of treating a vehicle has kind of disappeared nowadays hasn't it yeah and, and and i think that what you said earlier being the kind of the common supercar right i really think you're right in that and it, it's interesting that when we kind of have a look at the age range of those people that buy the, the type r and obviously it's more expensive than the standard Civic hatchback upon which it's um, developed. Um, but we find that those true enthusiasts, they will really extend themselves financially to be able to afford the, the Type R, the car that they really, really, really desire. So, you know, I kind of joke that people, instead of moving out from their parents, they say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to buy the Type R instead. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go on this wonderful vacation. Or I, I, I won't buy that engagement ring because I want to buy the Type R, because they extend themselves uh, for the car that they really, really love, obviously they want to take care of it. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you say trailer queen, people do dust them off and they, they, they keep them incredibly clean and personalize them. But, you know, this is the sort of car that's built for the racetrack. Yeah. And so, you know, those true enthusiasts, they, they, they spend the rest of the money that they have left uh, to go on track days. Yeah, and I, I think any car owner knows that you can't just keep a car in a museum if you don't drive them they they depreciate they get old they don't they, they, a car has to be driven to keep its value otherwise things go wrong with them you have to keep them running and uh, any car uh, is only worth its salt if it's driven on a on a weekly basis and that's that's the difference between art and jewelry and and gold that can be stored in a vault a car can't it has to be driven otherwise it depreciates which is different from any other valuable uh, investment which is very very i guess polar opposite of any other investment that anybody makes uh, in, yeah, in anything. And I, I, I yeah, and I think with the Civic, it's, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. So, you know, you mean you, you park it in the driveway. You're just so proud when you walk out of your, your house and yeah. you see this beautiful car. But then you go and drive it and you enjoy that driving experience. And, and the, the great thing is that, you know, these young people that, that extend themselves to buy this, this you know, common person supercar, and lo love that term that you used, um, that it's a Civic hatchback fundamentally. So yeah. it has all of the... The, the, the advantages with the full suite of safety equipment, it's a hatchback with a huge cargo area, it has four doors, comfortable um, interior for the first and the second row. So it is a very practical everyday car. It just happens to be kind of a giant killer when it comes to performance. 
I think that was the thing when I had it on TV on Friday and I, I was talking to Raul Martinez, the Fox 5 anchor. I said to him, the, the difference between this and most other performance cars in its class is that you can put a child seat in the back of this. And that's the sort of difference. Um, it's made for, you know, a young family. Like you can you can put it on the racetrack, but you can also it's also functional. Um, it can be used to go to the grocery store. And that that's the difference. Um, you just get there and back quicker than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I uh, kind of uh, I, I like to think of this an area where, uh, you know, um, a, a partner in a relationship um, who who's a car enthusiast you know, comes home and they say, hey, you know, honey, I've uh, I bought this wonderfully practical Honda hatchback as the family vehicle. Yeah. Um, and, and it happens to be the Type R that, uh, you know, uh, can go incredibly fast and handle so well. And yes, it's, it's very much at home on the racetrack. Yeah, and I like the other portion of it too is um, one of the things that uh, when, I, when I called the TV station and had a discussion with them about it. They asked me what makes this, you know, Type R different from the others, and I said, well, it's actually matured. When you see it, you'll you'll see that it's not sort of this twenty-two-year-olds um, crazy like Japanese aftermarket-style car. It's actually sort of very adult. And when it rolled off the truck at the TV station, they said, you know, it looks really grown up. And it does. That the wing isn't the wing doesn't look like it's Euro bonded on the back. And it looks like it's something that came out of the factory. And it looks very mature when you look at the front of the car. You know, everything looks um, adult. It's very adult now. Yeah, and I, I think that I mean it's just a kind of a, a sign of the times. I mean, I think that the the 10th generation Civic upon which the first Type R that we brought to the United States was based, um, yes, it, it was very boy racer, but of the time, that really worked. And, and to be honest, all of the, the 10th generation Civics, whether it's the sedan, the hatchback, the SI or the Type R, uh, they were the best-selling yeah. uh, Civic to date. Um, and so, you know, people's styles move on. And we do feel, you know, kind of be the, the product planner, I like to say that the previous generation of the the Type R was more of the the high school athlete. They're just kind of getting to terms with their body and they're building their muscles up, and it kind of they want to kind of show off, um, you know, their, their their bodies and their prowess. Whereas the the eleventh generation is more matured. It's more like the the college, the Olympian uh, yeah. athlete that has refined their body to do the the task at hand, uh, and they're more comfortable with it, and they don't need to show off as much and. So yes, I think it's it's more mature, but still still youthful. I mean, as as you saw with our uh, when when I saw you at our, our debut event, um, a lot of the young people there really you know, that styling really resonated with them too. So I think it is just that kind of style has moved on, and I think that people are looking for something a little bit more sophisticated yet uh, still very sporty looking. In the couple of minutes that we have left, Carl, I also want to cruise uh, by the HRV and CRV. Um, I. I want to really say, you know, the HRV we've talked about in the past, but that that's surprising. It's very family oriented, oriented, and and starts at sort of in the twenty four, twenty five thousand mark, um, and is really comfortable and and is a great car. But the CRV, whoa! I mean, this is such a departure from the previous uh, generation. 
and we had that at the TV station too. What an amazing exterior. I mean, it really looks like a vehicle that maybe is twice the price and is is so mature and so sort of rugged and bold and maybe you would think is a pilot when you first look at it. Um, it's just changed immensely and the visuals from the inside to the outside and, and all the things you've done with that. I mean, I don't know how you're going to ever be able to make enough of those. I know. I mean, I, I was four when I first saw it and, and it's, uh, uh, it, it's interesting. This is the, the, the quarter century um, uh, celebration of, of the CRV. Uh, the first CRV came out in 1997, and, and it has been the most successful uh, sales of SUV uh, in that in that 25 years in the United States, the most successful uh, SUV of any type. And so, um, yeah, we, we're really proud of it, and it has matured a lot. I mean, as we've seen with the marketplace, about yeah. over 80% of, of uh, retail sales uh, vehicles in the United States now are light trucks. And so CUVs, SUVs, yeah. pickup trucks and things of that nature. And so, you know, customers want something a little bit more bold, <laughs> a little bit more rugged looking, um, and, and but also sophisticated. And yes, and I think that the design is really kind of create that right balance of that bold, yes. rugged styling, yet sophisticated. And, 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 and obviously, there's, there's reasons why people have bought this, this RV. It's just an incredibly versatile vehicle. And I think you've really delivered it. With this new one. You've absolutely delivered it. Carl Pauly from Honda, thank you for joining us. I wish we had another hour to talk about it. Welcome back to our Auto Expert radio show. Uh, I'm Nick Miles, along with the whole Our Auto Expert crew. Um, Mini takes the States every two years normally, but because of this weird virus thing that's going around, um, yeah, yeah. Silly that's virus. Middle name, stupid. Silly. Um, it's, uh, it's been postponed. It was on again, off again, Mini takes the States. They put it on, they canceled it, they put it on, they canceled it. Um, so it was tough on the whole Mini Takes the States team. So it's supposed to happen every two years. Uh, Burlington, Vermont, all the way down to uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was done for the Best Friends Society, which is based out of Utah. And what they do is they are a pet rescue organization. The motto is Save Them All. They move animals out of high-kill shelters into no-kill shelters, um, and which was an amazing, and we had a an adoption event in Greenville, um, S- South Carolina, mm-hmm. at Century Mini, and it was heartbreaking. It was so tough yeah. to see all these animals coming in, and they they were like staring at the door, just waiting for their um, their families to come, They're someone to take home. yeah, someone just to come and take them home. I wanted to take all of them. Just it was so hard. So many pit bull mixes too, and mm. and just so many, you know. And like these little fights would break out, and they were all like vying for attention. And all they wanted to do was play with each other too. A lot of them, yeah, and to get attention. And they hadn't been with any other dogs. They were a lot of them were scared, and they had just like all these little idiosyncrasies. And they wanted to play and take. There were so many puppies that were so scared and scabs on their ears and some of them were as little as four weeks old oh and no. they were so like it was horrible 
and amazing and horrible and amazing and I was covered in dog hair and I just kept sitting on the floor with all of these different puppies and so many kids would so many people would come in and see all these animals and there was guys trying to sell cars amongst us they would try to sit down with customers like what's going on in the dealership <laughs> like why is there so many dogs in yeah. here and the whole foyer was packed like families were driving from states away just to come and see the dogs and then people were coming in i came to get my car service and i can't even find somebody that works for mini hi what's going on well ma'am it's more you know? important than you today yeah i mean two you gotta respect customers as well so everybody's trying to be friends and i was emotionally exhausted and i got up at five o'clock in the morning um that morning you know just to try and go be part of that. And there was all these different events happening. There was the end of Mini Takes the States, which was at the BMW factory in Spartanburg. And then there was this happening in Greenville. And there was just like, my mind was just a pickled cabbage by the end of the day. And then I had to sort of get to the airport and fly to go to Amsterdam at the end of the day. And my flight had been canceled and well, my flight had been delayed to actually once I got to Atlanta to go. Mm -hmm. So there was that whole story I told at the beginning of the show. So it was a mind drain by the end of the day, but very emotional. And these mini owners were just amazing um, for the end of that whole trip. Um, and I, I guess on that whole event, I met so many amazing characters. And we were driving. Some days were like... 10 11 hour drives and we drove the back of the dragon the tail of the dragon which if anybody hasn't experienced those you've got to drive them i mean they're long days but the drives are amazing drives of switchbacks through some of the most beautiful country um i drove through nine different states mm -hmm. um i drove some of the most incredible i mean lots of days i had to go straight from you know one place to another i couldn't drive the route that mini had prepared because we were shooting video yeah um and trying to get stuff produced all day and re um my photographer and video editor she was doing i mean lots of times she didn't eat yeah <laughs> she was just shooting all day and she was trying to grab food in the hotel room but i did also learned like you just let re drive yeah. like we all tried to drive and re doesn't mess around like she so one day lol drive drove for the day mm. and she was like um he's not driving again and i was like why <laughs> she just, he drives like an old lady and he doesn't actually drive like an old lady but he's really terrible with directions and she was like she was taking the directions from the GPS uh -huh. and translating them for him. <laughs> and translating them? Yeah, because he doesn't, like, which lane am I supposed to be in? And it tells you. <laughs> but she was telling him what it said and directing him. So I was just wow. like, you know, one day I drove and I was like, no, I'll just let you drive. Because she likes to drive at 35 over. <laughs> <laughs> a brisk 35 a brisk over. 35 <laughs> over and i was like you know if someone's gonna get a ticket in the car it's gonna be you yeah not me and i think when she went over 35 over 
I would say something. Hey, ring it. Like, hey, uh, you're um, like thirty-seven over. Hi, you're thirty-seven yeah. over, and she go, oh yeah, maybe I should slow down. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but it's really hard. Minis are so much fun. We were driving this untold edition of a Clubman, mm-hmm. and this is the first time I've ever seen it. Um, so what you and I would call cladding, which is the plastic portion, um, the they call it spats in in Mini Talk, and it's the plastic portion around the wheel wells. Oh, okay. It's the same color as the body um, paint, but it's not painted. The plastic molding, which is usually black on most cars, mm-hmm. was actually the plastic itself is that color. And oh, they've, they've made it identical to the paint color, so you can't tell where it starts and stops. It's amazing Smart. what many have done. And then they have done this this br- um, this highly finished brass color on the wheels. Uh-huh. So it's like like you would have a kitchen faucet in this highly polished brass color. They've done the wheels that way and the oh. finish around the grill is that color and all on the inside around the air con, the, the air conditioning for anybody. You know, it's like the air vents is, in England they call it air con. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like the air vents around the air vents is that color and sort of the finisher and the door handles. Oh, cool. And it's the untold edition and they're very limited production. But then you can bespoke them on top of that. So you can have them, you know, do different seats. The seats had this sort of snakeskin piping what? almost. Yeah. Um, in a different, it's like a seafoam type green. I can't remember what the exact color oh, is. Fancy. And so that's the color of the spats or the, the cladding is in this seafoam green and the body is in seafoam style green. Mm. Um, it's an amazing car. And it's a Clubman, which is the wagon. That's my favorite. Yeah. And it has the two barn doors that open mm-hmm. in the back, you know? Yeah. So you already sold. Order it online at mini.com. I'm just saying. All right. More. Our auto expert on the way. The Ford F-150 Raptor. Ah, yes. We're going to have an interview of that coming up. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is the World's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smartphone, and on smart speaker. This is our auto expert, where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. You know, travelers believe that every second matters when it comes to driving. And these days, too many people are distracted behind the wheel. Travelers' risk index shows, despite one-third of respondents, stating that their own driving has improved over the past couple of years. Most admit to making phone calls and reading text messages while driving. Regardless of what people may think of their driving habits, government statistics uh, show that there's been a 20% increase in car crashes and fatalities since 2019. Driver's safety puts, uh, you know, driver's safety puts away, puts, driver's safety says put away your phone to avoid distractions. It could save your life. And that is a message from Travelers Insurance. We all should remember that. Now, when I was on the uh, Ford Bronco Raptor drive, Mm -hmm. 
one moment Ford said, turn around, and we all did the old turn around, and out of a cloud of dust was the Ford F-150 Raptor R. It came, drove past us, and then went away. But Ford have actually now revealed the Ford F-150 Raptor R. And to tell us a little bit more about it is Tony Greco. Uh, he is the program manager for the Ford Raptor brand. Uh, it is not just a figment of our imagination. It is actually here and uh, pretty excited about this vehicle coming to life. Um, it's been something that we've all been hoping that the Ford F-150 brand Raptor would do, the brand would do. It is the most powerful Raptor ever, and some of the Raptor fans have been wishing for a V8. We have to say that it is a reality, finally. So tell us that uh, we can buy it very, very soon, I guess, with 700 horsepower. Uh, is It's a reality. When, when will it actually go on sale is the first question in most people's uh, mind, Tony. Uh, yes, good afternoon um, to you and to your listeners. And I, I'm super happy that you uh, referenced the uh, Bronco Raptor uh, media event um, that was something that we talked about internally about teasing the Raptor R, so I'm glad it had an impact. Um, yeah, so we are well into the launch phase. To answer your question, we're well into the launch phase. Uh, so I think uh, it will be <clears throat> on dealer lots late later in the year. Um, I would I would estimate Q4, you know, depending on you know how the the, the environment is in terms of. Uh, you know, supply base, uh, uh, if it's stable, then we'll get them out probably in Q4. If not, you probably see them on dealer lots very, very early in Q1. Uh, is, it, is it an old chip phase thing? Are we, are we still waiting for microchips? Is that the big sort well, of limiting I mean, it, agent? It, yeah, it's a little bit of everything nowadays, right? It's just uh, the, there's been some disruption in the industry and, you know, coming out of COVID, <clears throat> things don't seem to be as um, consistent. Um, in the supply base as they uh, as they maybe once were. So I think we're all kind of feeling, um, you know, the, 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 the impact of that. Now, with that said, right, we do our very best to, um, to, to, to prioritize the, uh, you know, something like the Raptor R, which has been long awaited. And so we'll, we'll do our very best to get it out as quickly as possible. Everything seems to be on track. Uh, and, uh, so again, later in, uh, you know, we're, we're well into the launch phase. So later in the year, uh, you should start uh, seeing some news exactly when they roll to the dealer lots. And how, how's, the, uh, how's that working? Because one of the things that Ford has done very well is, is allowed people to order them online. Uh, you did that with the Marquee. I got my Marquee GT Performance Edition that way. Um, you've done it with several of your vehicles. Is this going to be a dealer first come first served edition or will people be able to go online? Well, I think um, the the dealer the dealer piece of it will always be intact. There are par business partners, and that will always be how we 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 interact, or, you know, directly to the end item or to the end customer. 
Um, there will be uh, an opportunity to uh, build in price, certainly, on the website. I do not know for sure if they will allow Raptor R to be ordered directly. This, keep in mind, right, is a pretty limited um, volume. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're anticipating quite a bit of demand. Um, and so there may be um, the marketing team may choose to do that in a different way. And I'm just I've not been privy to that. Yeah. Um, but you can certainly, you know, check us out on, on Ford.com and, and build in price and see what the you know, what the specs are. The specs have been released and, and get all the information that way. I think uh, electric cars have definitely been an online, uh, I, you know, uh, Lightning and uh, Marky have been sort of very online be- based. Uh, but gas vehicles seem to be um, still sort of dealer-centric. So, all right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the vehicle itself. So what do we know so far about it? We know V8, we know uh, 37-inch tires, we know class uh, sort of class braking in a lot of things, first time for Ford, obviously, in a lot of things. Tell us the stats, tell us the numbers, tell us the geek stuff. Yeah, so I guess let me uh, let me just back up for a second and just say that this is a product that we within Ford Performance have wanted you know to work on for a long time. We've wanted to bring this product to, to market for a long time. Our customers, really, ever since the Gen Two Raptor, have been telling us that um, there's a, a desire to have a V8 um, in in the truck. They've uh, they've made. You know, some, some have been quite bold about it. Some have been subtle about it. But we've heard the, the message. So really, the, it comes down to this is a truck that we wanted to do, but we knew that we had some work to do in the chassis uh, before we <clears throat> we uh, added the power. So last year when we launched the uh, Gen 3 Raptor with the EcoBoost, you know, we introduced um, incremental capability in the chassis in the form of a coil rear uh, rear spring suspension. Yeah. So we were the fir- we came off of the you know leaf springs that the rest of F series shares. In the front, we redesigned uh, the you know the front suspension to kind of enable much more travel um, because we we obviously focus first and foremost on off road capability. And then the tire, um, you know, was something that again was something out there that we always thought about. We always wanted to do it. It re- became a reality when we switched the rear suspension. Once we had that truck in play, um, and, and that truck, even in the EcoBoost uh, configuration, is a very well-balanced and very capable truck off-road, um, then we kind of started thinking like, okay, now we can put, now we have a chassis that is, is capable of, um, you know, delivering the power. Um, right. and, and just, you know, then you start thinking about, okay, now we make the, 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 the pinnacle Raptor meant for the off-road you know that that extra small percent of people who have been really wanting more and more and more and are willing to pay for it um that's this truck is for them i mean i think my my personal thing was you'd managed to do the the capability had been there with a smaller engine uh but there was still screaming and shouting for for the people who wanted loud big you know more horsepower yeah, so that goes back quite a ways, right? So if you, if you kind of look at the history of, you know, SVT, right, long ago there was a Lightning that was not an electrified F-150. It was a Lightning that was a short wheelbase, yeah. uh, supercharged V8, you know, SVT product. When we pivoted away from that and went more to the off-road space, 
um, there was a lot of really upset people, right? That you took the supercharged V8 out of a out of their truck, and we've been hearing since then, you know. So it's been really a long time coming, um, and so we're no stranger to big power in in, in trucks, but it it needed to be done in a, a very logical progression. Um, and so we focused on the chassis and got the tire first. We also didn't want to put, you know, a big engine like this with all this power on a smaller tire. So we wanted it standard with the 37. We thought that was important and for the look and for and the running clearances that it gives you off-road. So all that kind of, you know, all that was kind of talked about, put on the table. And, you know, we, we made our decisions, you know, in a logical way. So that, you know, in the end, right, we brought forward the right product at the right time. So, you know, it's it's made, it's done, it's sort of created. Um, then the next stage is really to sort of roll it out to customers and that sort of thing. Do you think it's going to be highly spoken for? Or do you think anybody who hasn't already decided they want one still could get one? I, I think that, um, I, I guess I'll just, I'll say this, the reception, because um, we, you know, we teased it that it actually the, as a physical property at the Bronco uh, Raptor, but we actually talked that there was a Raptor R that was a real thing when we revealed the Gen 3 Raptor in the EcoBoost configuration last year. There's just been a lot, a lot, and I can't believe how much, right, right? just on social media and blogs and things where Raptor enthusiasts kind of live. There's just been a huge amount of following waiting speculating you know kind of trying to figure things out i i'm not assuming that these things are going to be sitting around for very long all right um the only thing i can suggest to people and there seems to be a massive amount of uh, excitement about it but if you really want one as I probably do, you should probably go to Ford.com. That seems to be the best place for information. I could talk another hour about this. This is our auto expert. Catch up with previous episodes of our show. Our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past show and that fabulous podcast. You can see automotive videos and you can read I need to learn to do that. And also, you can do what 2 million Americans do every single day and get your news about our auto expert and all the automotive information in America. Yep, it's all at ourautoexpert.com. Andy, you've been helping us check out some trucks and the vehicle which we have been driving this week, the 2022 Chevy Silverado 1500 all-wheel drive, high country. That's mm-hmm. H-I-G-H, country. I, I like to sit, I've been on a, I've been on a truck spree because I sit in the back and I fill it with water. Oh, right. To beat the heat. Blah, 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 blah. Um, high country is just one of the names of uh, the Chevy trim level. Incidentally, do you prefer letters when you talk about trim levels, um, nomenclature, as a chemist might say, or do you prefer names like you'd be saying something like, um, let's say, LT or RST or LTZ or ZR2, or do you prefer names, something like Trail Boss or Silverado, 
high country. I like, like I like the numbers and letters, and I feel like that it just sounds cooler. Do you really? Because you're the one then. Because I think most people in America feel names are better than numbers. Because, you know, um, let's say mm, Perry Stern, John Vincent, and some of the people we have regularly on the show think that Toyota's BZ4X is the worst named car in America. That's their new electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to agree. I like things like Continental. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, names like that for vehicles. Um, Bronco. Um, and like Infinity went to all names for theirs, like QX80. Um, I quite like that. You do? But yeah. I like like Quattro. I think that's better than QZ4. LMNOP. LMNOP. Yeah, th those are just runs of alphabet numbers, to be honest with you. I just, I feel <laughs> like it's a bigger a bigger production. Like, what do you got? Oh, I have the Prius. What do you got? The BRFL 2.5 Niner? We came up with one which was quite funny, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. STR8? Mm -hmm, STR8. I thought that was funny. I like it because there's so many implications. Yeah. There's <laughs> it could be a, a like a straight four, a straight eight, a straight six, meaning the engine. Like an inline. Can yeah, inline straight. That was funny. You stand in inline. It's a bit cheeky too though. Inline isn't it? straight. <laughs> yeah, get it. Um, because a lot of times that's what I drove a classic. Well, first of all, let's talk about this. I On the trip to Germany, I got to drive a replica of the very first car ever made. Isn't that wasn't made in like it was the Benz. It was the It was the Benz three-wheeler with the engine in the back where it was like, it was basically a bicycle with a motor, a three-wheeled bicycle with a wooden bench. Whoa. And I got to drive it, and it was like... <laughs> it sounded a bit like what your kid shouldn't be doing upstairs in his room. <laughs> um, you know, and you'd be bursting and go, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm driving the original Benz rum around my bedroom. Um, so it was fun. And then I drove... The very first Mercedes ever made, which was, I think, 1904. And uh, you know what, uh, like, uh, trumpet valves look like? Mm -hmm. yeah, it had, yeah. like, 25 of those what? across the front and with little glass valves. And the Mercedes engineer was, oh, that's so you could see how much is in the oil. And you could see what is the oil pressure here. And I was like, dude, forget it. Yeah, and it whatever. Had you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. It had two brakes. It did have yeah. two brakes. I knew it. It had it had a transmission brake and a and an engine brake. I knew it. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and I was like laughing so hard and they go, "What are you what is so funny?" What is so funny? And um, I was like, "Yeah, you'd have to be back home in America on <laughs> the Our Auto Expert radio show to know why that was funny." Yeah. But it actually had two brakes. Yeah, um, and then um, I got to uh, re-drive one of the like 1938 cars, or not drive, I rode in it. You weren't allowed to drive those things, they were too complicated, you had to ride in them. But I got to ride in that, like the first Mercedes, which was like, I don't know, the first Benz car, which mm -hmm. was the original car in mm -hmm. the world. 
the 1904 something and then the that was the one with the, like all the trumpet valves that's cool <laughs> like the brass wind one and then like a 1938 fast you know aero car the first aero car and that looked like you should have had 101 Dalmatians in it. <laughs> it was like, and it was made of aluminum. And that was crazy, crazy. I bet. Like, and it had, uh, when you went fast, like the original supercharger kicked in. And <laughs> and they were going like what? Through, a, through a parking lot um, in, in Germany um, that was probably, I think they were probably doing like 65 miles an hour in a parking lot. And you could hear it, the supercharger kick in. It was <laughs> nuts. Nuts. But that was hard to stop with your yeah, feet. It, oh, I felt. But it was, you know, like a Corella DeVille car. It That's was awesome. All made of aluminum. And they had been told that day that we would be coming as journalists. So we have some journalists and TV guy from America coming. And I drove up to this security gate and said, hi, I'm here for the Mercedes thing. And it's a high security, like it's camo cars, everything there of the future. And the guy goes, oh yeah, we have heard you're coming, come in. And then they found out that he just let me in and Ooh. they were like, I was taking pictures of all these camo cars and they were like, what, he let you in without seeing your ID? Cause <laughs> there was Nick. some trouble. Um, yeah, I got to drive a car that does 740 seven miles on a single charge of electricity. Was it the most beautiful thing ever? Um, can't tell you. Man, come on. It's restricted until next week's show. Uh. And we will, we'll, we're going to tell you about that next week's show, but we're going to find out about the first insurance policy ever written coming up. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert, where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm Nick Miles. All right, so if you don't know the name Travelers, you are a very misinformed individual because they wrote the original automotive insurance policy 125 years ago. That's a long time. I, even I can't remember that. But we thought we'd delve into the history of Travelers Insurance and their innovations, and we invited Karen Andrews along. She is the head of their telematics program, and they are innovating new insurance ideas and new ideas about how to keep the family safe on the roads and, as we are about to find out, in other ways uh, in the modern century. And Karen, welcome along to Our Auto Expert. Not only did you guys have a hand in writing that very first automotive insurance policy, but you also insured the astronauts on their first trip to the moon as well, didn't you? That's right, Nick, we did. Thank you for, for having me today. Um, yeah, we're, we're super proud of our history. You know, we've, we've been around for a long time now, right? You know, saying that you were, were the first one to write, you know, an auto liability policy 125 years ago is, is really impressive in my book. So really proud um, of, of our history and our history around innovation as well. It just really speaks to how we continue to lean into, you know, new uh, evolving risks and, and helping protect our customers um, from, you know, risks of things that we have never experienced before, right? And are now obviously mainstream auto insurance and, and space flight. Um, but we're constantly looking for, for new and innovative ways to protect our customers. And, and telematics is just the newest foray into that. 
I think it's kind of interesting because I was trying to sort of measure how long ago 125 years was. And of course, if we even go back to looking at the first cars, you know, they were like 136 years ago. So it was sort of 11 years after the first car appeared on the roads to, you know, you first wrote that liability insurance policy. And then the Model T really hadn't appeared at that time. So it's a really, really long time ago. And obviously, when you have a car, you want to protect the value or you have an individual inside a car, you want to protect them and you want to protect other people. So insurance was really kind of a natural follow on to when you have something that takes so long to invent and is so precious and there's lives inside that are so precious. You know, insurance is a very obvious thing to follow on, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Model T didn't come out for another 11 years after we wrote that policy. So, you know, quite quite a span of time there um, for us to be kind of uh, in, that, in that space. But yes, I mean, I think obviously super important in the world that we live in today. And as we all know, you know, risks on the road are only increasing. And so, you want to make sure that you've got your auto insurance protection uh, following you when, when you do go out on the roads, when you go on, you know, bring your family on that road trip um, to go you know, see the sights out in, the, in, in this great country of ours. You know, we want to make sure you've got somebody riding along with you that's, that's been around and is stable and can provide you that protection when it matters the most. We're kind of funny as a, as a race of human beings. We love to grumble about paying our insurance policy when we have to do it every month, but we sure don't grumble when we like to get the money for our car being damaged. So it's it's sort of a, it's one of those things we grumble on one end, but we're very very happy when we have the protection from travelers. That's right, and it you know it's a good reminder, right? It's not just when we're on the road, but it could be when our car is sitting in the driveway, right? A tree falls on it yep. when we're home, right? Things that just are not expected. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over the years, travelers have innovated, you know, much more than just the original insurance policy. I mentioned at the top that you guys were involved in that very first space flight. So what's the story there? It's a really neat story, right? I, I would say, you know, insuring astronauts as they're heading up to, to walk on the moon, something that had never, you know, even been attempted before. So, you know, Neil Armstrong, you know, Edwin Aldrin and Michael Collins, right? Each astronaut was protected by us in case of unknown disaster. Um, and, you know, who knows what they would have un uncovered when they got up there. No one knew what it was like to be on the moon, right? And, and what that experience would be. So, um, just just a really neat uh, story and, and page in our in our history. Yeah, we didn't know what they were going into. And, and that was 65, and between 65 and now, you guys have insured a lot of people. That is true. Uh, people and businesses, right? It's not just, you know, the, the, the mom and, and pop stores either. It's, you know, some of the global companies across the United States and, and across other, other countries as well. So it's a pretty impressive business that we get to be a part of, and we're super proud of, of the fact that we keep America running, not just, you know, our, in our homes and in our cars, but in our businesses and, and in our, our broader commercial endeavors as well. Now, travelers are not sort of resting on your laurels. I've had a look at some of the new things that are happening with car insurance and home insurance. You have some pretty interesting innovations and things that you're trying to do to change the industry once again. That's right. I personally get to be a part of, you know, this telematics endeavor, which 
I would say, has been around for a good 20 plus years in the industry, but has only within the past, you know, five or 10 years really taken hold. So, you know, we've, we've innovated in this space. We originally invested in, you know, kind of, you know, a, a dongle that you plug into your car that tracks your driving. And we've evolved it since then into, you know, really this downloadable, you know, app that you put on your phone and it can, you know, really assess your driving behaviors based on, you know, the, the sensors in the phone and, and the location of, of, of the phone in the car, just going along, again, going along with you for the ride and really understanding, you know, the risk associated with your driving behaviors. And if you're somebody who is a safer driver, you know, getting rewarded for that safe driving behavior is, is, is a really positive thing. And I would argue it, it's making our roads safer, right? Um, which we all know is an important thing, especially right now. I, I would say, you know, with COVID um, and the pandemic, I would say driving behaviors have gotten a little out of control. And I know I've seen it personally as I've been out on the roads. People um, have gotten riskier in their driving behaviors, broadly speaking. Um, obviously, not everyone, but, you know, as a whole, as a society, I think we've We've started to get more and more distracted by our phones, and uh, somehow it's it's become easier to to speed and not not take into consideration um, that you know we we are causing additional risk on the road for ourselves and for other drivers. It's interesting that people uh, you know people are quite happy to have you know their driving watched because ultimately it helps them get a better uh, rate on their insurance i mean i'm obviously i think everybody thinks they're a great driver but uh, it can help them improve their driving habits probably no end absolutely we've found that it has helped with in particular distraction so the distracted driving component of our program was not something that was part of our the original program so Back in 2017, when we first introduced it, we were focused on things like your speed, your hard braking, uh, the time of day that you were driving, things like that. And since since then, in 2020, we started rolling out a, an update to the program that included watching for distraction uh, with your phone in particular. Um, and what we have what we saw from that is that the amount of distracted driving trips actually was 20% lower than mm. with our prior program. Um, so we know that having, you know, the awareness, not just the awareness, but also the the knowledge that if I interact with my phone, I'm going to get dinged and it's going to impact the price of my insurance does really, is really a motivator for kind of staying off the phone. Um, and, it, and, you know, reinforces those good driving behaviors interesting that uh, if people know they're being watched they don't have bad behavior <laughs> kind of like the policeman on the side of the road right yeah down and then as soon as he's out of sight again we uh, you start to see the speeds go back up yeah, no, that's a it's an interesting idea of of behavior and that type of thing too. Um, does it save people money on the long run when you do the when you do the sort of tallying up in the column? Are people saving money overall when they get to, when they use the telematic system? We have found that two out of three drivers are saving money with with this program. Um, so you know that's that's a pretty good result. You know, again for 
you know, for us and for our customers, right? You're, you're, you want to be recognized and rewarded for your safe driving. You want to uh, see your premiums or have more control over the price that you pay, pay for your insurance. Certainly, that's something that we know um, interests customers. It interests me, right, personally as a customer. If I can influence the price that I pay by how I'm driving, I want to be able to do that. Um, and so that's one of the big appeals with with these telematics programs. Well, that's 60% of drivers, so that's a, that's a pretty good percentage. I think that's a win. It is. Um, if people want to find out more about uh, Traveler's history and about ways they can uh, get involved in some of the innovations that you are currently doing, how, it, how can they do that? A lot of this information lives on our website, travelers.com. So uh, there's a lot of neat, you know, we, we have uh, uh, several different, areas you can poke around in so there's one specifically for auto insurance that you can go and explore um, our telematics program it's called IntelliDrive um, so you can you can click through to that site and learn about all about how it works um, it is a 90-day program um, and if you you know at the end of that 90 days your your driving behavior warrants a discount then that discount will be applied at your next renewal so um, you know, a lot of a lot of really great information out there. A lot of great information about our history lives out there as well, and um, the types of businesses that we insure, the types of other personal insurance policies and products that we offer um, are referenced out there as well. Awesome. Karen Andrews is with Travelers Insurance, and you're listening to Our Auto Expert. You can also listen to this interview again and our podcast at Apple Podcasts. Catch up with previous episodes of the show, our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see automotive videos, and read insider car stories about your next ride. It's where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles. All right, it's been a while since we've uh, visited our friend, but Anton Woolman is here. He's in Silicon Valley, California. They let him back into the United States. Anton Woolman, you can read most of his stuff at Seeking Alpha and uh, also at the street. He's an independent analyst and investor. Anton, big news over on the VW side, the boss stepping down. Is he stepping down or was the trap door pin pulled and is he falling? You know, Nick, I haven't heard the final story as to the intricacies behind the scenes, but it would appear that there were pressures from multiple angles coming at him. Imagine the buzzsaw hitting any CEO of a European automaker these days. You've got an energy crisis where the cost of natural gas and oil and everything that it takes to produce cars are going through the roof up over 600% in the last year alone. Secondly, you have the pressures to convert everything into electricity only, which is clearly ahead of where the customer is prepared to go. And then thirdly, you have the labor unions who are then saying, wait a minute, uh, what is what is it all this going to mean for, for our jobs? So the position of being a CEO of a company like Volkswagen today, uh, you, you cannot be envied very much. So you can imagine the conflicts going on behind the scenes, and it's not clear that uh, there was anybody particularly at fault here inside the company, whether from the CEO's position or somebody else. But the, the, the position here is just inherently uh, dramatically difficult at this moment. 
And, you know, he may have been a, a, a man at the end of some puppet strings. We don't know who was pulling those strings, but ultimately he navigated this company through probably the biggest nightmare that any automotive company has ever been through in the history of automotive companies, and that being Dieselgate and the aftermath of Dieselgate that VW had to guide itself through there. So if he was actually the architect of bringing the company out of Dieselgate, he has to be one of the most sought-after people because VW recovered from that better than anybody could have possibly expected. Well, I'm not sure about that, Nick. I mean, he clearly, so he came in a little bit after Dieselgate broke. At that point, sort of the damage was done. And at that point, what are you really going to do? He oversaw this MEB architecture for the lowest cost all-electric product portfolio that reminded him, of course, of the kind of job that he oversaw at his previous job over at BMW, which was a rear-wheel drive-based all-electric vehicle, the i3. And I think that that choice was clearly a good one, but somewhere along the way there, there was a lot of politics that was thrown in there uh, that where he kind of came to a lot of the pressures that came from the German government and the European Union. So I think the verdict of on on the manner in which he navigated these waters over this last half decade is not entirely clear yet. That said, a man clearly has a lot of experience, and uh, I think that uh, he'll uh, probably land somewhere uh, in some position here soon enough. I mean, that could have turned out horribly for VW. They... Um, they, you know, they had some possibilities of crashing and burning, and they didn't. Um, the company has remained fairly healthy, but I would say in the last year they have struggled immensely. Um, they've had real, yeah. I mean, the, I, I certainly can't be blamed for all of these supply chain issues because they have they've hit the industry a bit outside of the control of an OEM. Um, but uh, no, clearly the company has survived it in many ways thrived given uh, what they were handed back in 2016 and what came after it. So I think that all in all, I mean, the company is in a position to uh, uh, do at least as well as the industry average here going forward. All right, let's talk about Musk versus Twitter. Again, he's outlived every cat ever, and he's clearly got more than nine lives. He's still surviving. <laughs> he's still managed to keep himself above water. But Tesla may have sort of peaked and be on the downward slope now. How does everything look? Yeah, well, I think it's about 99 lives of cats here at this point. I think the main point here to understand is that the judge in Delaware was going to settle this case between uh, Twitter and Elon Musk has a history of enforcing contracts. And he signed a contract where there are very, very few escape clauses, and most people that have looked at it seem to think that he has none at this point. So what will be the conclusion of this? Well, he's basically going to have to cough up the full price amount that he uh, signed up for a few months ago, which is about $44 billion, and there's some debt in there, but net of all of that is about $30 billion that he has to put in uh, by himself. And in order to do so... He has, of course, one source of publicly traded funds, and that is his stake in Tesla. So 
chances are he's going to have to sell uh, maybe not quite 30 billion, but close there to maybe 25 billion or so of um, Tesla shares that he owns. And you know what happens when a large owner suddenly starts to sell shares in a company like that, a huge stake? Well, the price tends to go down. Go back and look at the roughly around May 1st, plus or minus a couple of weeks, when he sold at first somewhere between 8 and $10 billion worth of essentially the down payment on this thing. Um, and the stock traded down about $200 a share. So you can imagine here if he now has to sell well over $20 billion, maybe $25-plus billion of stock, uh, what, uh, what will come out of that? In the meantime, his other largest individual shareholder, um, Larry Ellison, the founder and CEO of Oracle, he has about a, a $12 billion personal stake in Tesla. Two weeks from now, he will step down from the board of Tesla. <clears throat> this is something that he announced uh, a couple of months ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when he does that, speculation is that he may also offload his 12 or so billion dollar stake. So you have two sellers first uh, here in a couple of weeks, starting um, uh, Larry Ellison and then Elon Musk himself, perhaps at some point when, if and when he has to actually pay uh, for the full amount for Twitter, which uh, could happen here uh, pretty soon uh, thereafter. Uh, and, and of course, if Elon appears to be an unwilling salesman, um, you know, what are the implications of that? I would also tell you, obviously, with all these new electric cars coming in the market and Tesla not uh, actively investing in research and development and with no significant new products being developed apart from the ones we already know about, uh, it doesn't look good a future for Tesla as well. Anton Warman is an... Anton Warman, yeah. independent in investor and analyst. Anton, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but you've given us a lot to think about. Uh, do go read him at the street and uh, Seeking Alpha, uh, probably the wisest man that we know about that uh, does these things uh, in, in researching Tesla especially, but also in the electric car field. Uh, you can, of course, listen to this interview and many more at Our Auto Expert. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts, and we're creeping up the charts as well one of the uh, top uh, automotive uh, podcasts out there, uh, especially when it comes to uh, looking at these things, of course, as the, uh, the things like uh, Tesla and the other things with Anton. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, do fill it up. And, of course, watch uh, the TV show and the uh, Fox Sports show is, of course, uh, the YouTube channel, Our Auto Expert. <laughs> at rautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at rautoexpert. And message us for a quick and witty response.